I have never been so moved by makeup in my life. I was not a makeup kid, but this makeup in this movie is so good. I mean, they get liver spots on Steve Carell's forehead. It's insane. Channing yeah. Tatum looks ugly. It's it's amazing. I'm not I'm not kidding. <laughs> watch this movie for the makeup. Just watch it and appreciate those little things. I really yeah. I couldn't get over it the whole time. I'm sorry. I know this is weird. Hi everyone. I'm Bolton and I'm Grace. And welcome to Crime Scenes, a true crime movie podcast. So, what are we doing today, Grace? Today we are doing the movie Foxcatcher. This was an interesting one. I got a lot of feelings about the brother, particularly Mark, but let's get into it. Do you have any idea who I am? Some rich guy calls you on the phone. I wanted to speak with you about what you hope to achieve. What do you hope to achieve, Mark? I want to be the best in the world. Good. There's a key for you. Also, big house is off limits. Okay. Coach DuPont has a vision. He would like Foxcatcher to be the official training site for the national team. What's he get out of all this? What are you thinking? This is it. This is all that we've that we've ever wanted. Mark, you have been living in your brother's shadow your entire life. It's your time now. I promise you. I'll give you everything I have. I am leading men. And I am giving America hope. I spent my lifetime looking for a father, and I found one in John DuPont. It doesn't matter. The sport of wrestling is a low sport, and I don't like to see you being low. Why is there nobody in the gym? Yeah, no, I can't. You ungrateful ape. Mark. 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 Easy. Good. Yeah, I don't need your help. I tell me what's going on with you and DuPont. Hey, what did I just say? A coach is a father. A coach is a mentor. A coach has great power on an athlete's life. Mark. You can watch this movie on Amazon Prime. This movie is from 2014. It is starring Steve Carell, Channing Tatum, and Mark Ruffalo. It was directed and produced by Bennett Miller. It was written by E. Max Fry and Dan Futterman. And the film is loosely based on the events surrounding multimillionaire heir and wrestling enthusiast John DuPont's recruitment of two Olympic gold medalist wrestlers, Mark and Dave Schultz, to coach wrestlers preparing for national, world, and Olympic competitions and the subsequent murder of Dave Schultz by John DuPont in January of 1996. 
Sources for this are the movie itself from 2014. I watched a couple of documentaries, including The Prince of Pennsylvania, which is an ESPN 30 for 30. There's also a Netflix documentary called Team Foxcatcher. And I read the book Foxcatcher, the true story of my brother's murder, John DuPont's madness, and the quest for Olympic gold written by Mark Schultz with most definitely had to be a (laughs) ghostwriter. And I looked at a couple articles that I'll put in our sources, but my main sources are that 30 for 30 and then the Team Foxcatcher on Netflix. A few things about this movie before we start. This movie makes Mark a very prominent figure when Mm -hmm. he really wasn't. Now, I didn't realize this. I thought that the book and the movie were written kind of together in tandem. Uh, Not true. No. It had been years of writing and creating this movie. The book was written after the movie came out, essentially as a cash grab. Mm -hmm. And you can tell. Didn't you think it was weird how the Netflix documentary doesn't mention Mark at all? Yeah, I did. But I think the reality is... The reason he is featured so prominently in the movie is because he was the first person to kind of develop a relationship, a working relationship with John DuPont. But quite honestly, I think, this is my opinion, I think he had some anger issues before all of this happened, certainly after he had some anger issues with the murder of his brother. And you really need to take what he says with a grain of salt. I'm not saying he's lying, but I am saying that his memory of things is not necessarily what happened. It may be what he thinks happened, but it's not the reality of the entire situation. So I think that's why he's not featured in the Netflix documentary, because he became particularly angry after the movie came out. And it was clear that some of the things he was saying happened were questionable. Also, the way Mark and John DuPont meet is different than how the movie depicts, but we will address that as we go. So, let's get into it. I thought it was interesting how it opens. It's got opening credits, and we get all of these old videos. They're clearly home videos of some fancy horseback riders. They're on horses. They're hunting foxes with pointer dog style thing. It's like that. Then the opening scene is the complete opposite of fancy horseback riding. We see a guy in a wrestling practice. He's practicing by himself, and this is Channing Tatum, and he is playing Mark Schultz. And it looks like a rundown gym. It's very blue collar to what you just saw. Now, at the time that this movie is supposed to start, Mark Schultz has won both a gold Olympic medal and a gold world championship medal. But we see based on this scene and the one following that he is not in the greatest place. He is getting ready to go into a middle school to give a motivational speech. And that has got to be the worst experience in the world. Like, I just remember (laughs) guest speakers coming, and I was that kid that was like, shut up, you're going to get us in trouble. And kids just being the worst. And that reminds me of this so much. And he's just given the worst speech that (laughs) makes no sense. Hello. Thank you for... Give me the opportunity to talk to you today. My name is Mark Schultz. I want to talk about America. And I want to tell you why I wrestle. For how hard he's worked, we just saw him working out like a maniac by himself. He's really has very little respect or recognition for what he does. And he's getting a check cut to him for 20 bucks for coming and doing this speech. And the woman has no idea who he is. Is it Dave or David? No, it's Mark. Mark Schultz. Um. Yeah, 
Dave's my brother. He was oh. originally scheduled. Okay. We both want goals. So this is like the first instance we get where you get the idea that he might be living in his brother's shadow. And he's like, oh, yeah, Dave was scheduled, but he couldn't do it. So I'm here. And like you said, he goes, we both won gold. Yeah. Then we get Mark at his apartment and you see him putting his Olympic gold medal that he brought to show the kids at school back on its shelf. And it's just a little rinky dink shelf with all these amazing medals that he's won. Mm -hmm. And you are suddenly realizing not only do they not get a lot of recognition, they are not living well-off lives. The reality was both Mark mm. and Dave Schultz were living with their dad. In fact, Dave was married with two kids living with his dad. And at this point, Dave also had won an Olympic gold medal and a world championship gold medal. And mm -hmm. they could barely afford anything. Here's a little background as to what was going on with Mark and Dave and the wrestling careers and what was going on with wrestling as a whole at around this time. Like I briefly mentioned earlier, both Mark and Dave went to the Olympics in 1984 and then the World Championship, and they both won gold. The thing about that Olympics was the entire Eastern Bloc and the Soviet Union boycotted that Olympics, and some of the best wrestlers were from that area. So when they won these gold medals, there was almost an invisible asterisk put by their name. They won, yeah. but the best people weren't there. So then it was a bigger deal when they won at Worlds because all those Eastern Bloc countries were there. And they were actually the only two brothers to ever win golds at both the Worlds and the Olympics at the same time. And the movie doesn't mention that. They only mention the Olympics, but they actually at that point had been in both of those. And I feel like we should explain for people who might not know wrestling or those types of sports, it's by weight class. So that's how they are both able to be Olympic champions because they're in different weight classes. And when they went to the Olympics and Worlds, another thing to remember is that this was at the time where professionals couldn't be in the Olympics. You had to be amateur. They mm -hmm. had to rely on organizations like USA Wrestling to help them with accommodations to be these people. And if they didn't have some sort of income on their own or help, then they were really out of luck. So in the next scene, we see Mark coming into a locker room and it kind of goes quiet as he walks in. And you already can tell he's very awkward. He doesn't like to talk. I get the sense he didn't get along well with people. Now, I didn't find anywhere it explicitly state that Mark was hard to get along with, but just in reading his book and seeing the other documentaries and other research, I get the sense that he was not easy to get along with just because, like I mentioned earlier, I think he might have had a little bit of an anger problem. In his book, Mark talks about how he was no stranger to fights. He was bullied when he was younger, but then as he got older, he really started getting into fights much more. In college, actually, he got in a full-on fight that he talks about in his book with a police officer as he was leaving leaving a party, and he almost got charged for it. But his coach at that time pulled some strings and got him out of it, which I don't know if that's necessarily the best thing, but that's where I'm getting the idea that I think he had an anger problem. And I think he did not separate his time on the mat and off the mat. So it was much harder for people to get past that barrier to get along with him. And we're really seeing that in the scene. So we see Mark leave the locker room and we see him going back into that gym that we saw him in earlier practicing. This gym is located at Wexler University. Wexler University is a fictional place. It's not real. But we also see there's a small office and Dave, Mark's brother, is in that office talking to a lot of people. So it's presumed that Dave is the head coach at this university. And that was not the case either. At the time, they were both working as assistant coaches at 
Stanford University. And after they came back from that world championship, Mark, he claims out of nowhere, was fired. And the other thing was he was using a car that had been, quote unquote, donated to Stanford, but really it was intended for Mark to use. And Mm -hmm. when he got fired from that job, he also lost this car. And the coach gave that car to Dave and his wife. So he's living with Dave and his wife, and he sees his car every day after he's gotten fired. Now, I think he also had some tendencies to really lash out and be inappropriate. And he briefly mentions that at the end of the World Championships, he went out with some girls and they had like a crazy night. But he came back and got fired. I have a theory that something happened that was Mm. not good and he got fired from that job. That's what I think happened. And the other thing I think is that in the opposite way that Mark was very hard to get along with, Dave was very easy to get along with. And this scene is also when we first see Mark Ruffalo as Dave. And he's so good. I love Mark Ruffalo. I love Mark Ruffalo in anything. So I was super excited to see that he was playing Dave Schultz in this movie. Dave was described as a hippie wrestler. He was kind of different from other wrestlers. When he was on the mat, he was super competitive and he could be harsh. But outside of it, he was just very, very friendly. And he's more well-rounded, kind of has other things going on. Even though wrestling's still like number one to him, I feel like there's more to him as a person than there was to Mark at this time. And we also see in this scene when Mark comes in for this practice, Dave is talking to some people at USA Wrestling. Hey, Mark. You know the guys from USA Wrestling? Mark? Fred, Bruce, Greg. Hey, Mark. Well, all right. right. Um, Just uh, give give us a call. Appreciate it, Bruce. Thanks for coming all this way. Thanks. All right. Hey, have a good workout. Thank you. There's an awkward moment between Mark and these USA wrestling people. I took that in the sense that, again, Mark is not that easy to get along with. Now, Mark refutes this. In fact, Mark says that he and Dave, despite looking very different from each other, were like twins in personality. I don't believe that. I do not I believe don't buy that. that. Yeah. No, I don't buy that either. Then Mark and Dave start their own practice. And what they're doing here is they would practice together. And my goodness, this is the scene where I was like, I need everyone 10 feet around me. Do not touch me. Because just the way wrestling is, and this is probably very Mm -hmm. common, they are like rubbing on each other. Their heads are going around. I mean, it's just them warming up. To them, it's very normal. But to me, I was like, I am so uncomfortable. And I'm not one of those people that's like, I don't like to be touched. I will hug you. I'm a hugger. But I didn't like this. (laughs) Yeah, it is very awkward, like, watching the warm-up part, and then it, like, goes into actually practicing the moves. And it gets a little awkward. The practicing turns into some aggressiveness, like, maybe, are they fighting? Yeah. And then all of a sudden, Mark headbutts Dave. There's blood everywhere. And of course, Dave spits that blood out on the floor. Just There's just more <laughs> germs. There's touching and germs in this movie. It's just, ugh. But you can see that something awkward is going on with them. And the something awkward was obviously in real life that Dave got this job and Mark had been fired. And that's not really explained very well in this. 
So then after that scene, we have Dave dropping Mark off back at his apartment. Yes. And Mark goes in and there's this weird scene where Mark is looking in the mirror at a bruise he has on his face from practice. And he's mm-hmm. he starts hitting himself as hard as he can. The real Mark Schultz did not like this movie, particularly because it made it seem like he was emotionally fragile. And he said, quote, there are no emotionally fragile wrestlers. (laughs) And I just put my head in my hands when I saw that. Because, yes, there are. Just because you're physically tough doesn't mean you don't have emotions. That's the thing. This guy really, I really think he has problems with his emotions and expressing himself. You clearly see that through the book. And you clearly see it here. And I think that's what the director was trying to embody. He is lonely. He's successful. Mm -hmm. And he works his ass off, but he's not respected. He's not recognized. To a certain extent, he thinks that he was a little bit in his brother's shadow, not necessarily in wrestling. I think Mark might have actually been a little bit better of a wrestler, but definitely in just terms of popularity. There's no other way to say it. People liked Dave better. And he did not know how to, in a healthy manner, deal with those emotions. And it comes out in him just physically beating himself up. The way that he reacts to the movie after it comes out, he's all over the place. Oh, yeah. I've got some crazy tweets we're going to talk about at the end. Yeah. (laughs) Now, whether this Mm -hmm. actually happened, whether he actually was hitting himself in the face or not, I don't know. But I think it's just very symbolic as to he was in the shittiest spot possible. And then we get a scene where Mark is sitting at home and he gets a call from a representative from a guy named John DuPont. Now, we're at a point where we need to clarify how the movie is dramatizing how John DuPont and Mark Schultz met and how they actually met. And there's some parts of this that the movie has just fictionalized for purposes of making the movie. But there's other parts where Mark says one thing in his book and then he says another thing in the ESPN 30 for 30. So I'm going to start with just talking about how the initial contact went and the difference there. In his book, he says that this person that called him was a doctor, like an MD. And he was telling him, I just want to let you know you're going to get a call from a guy named John DuPont. And I just want to vouch for him for you. And he was like, what? Okay. And then John DuPont calls him and they have several phone calls. And then they make arrangements to meet at a wrestling competition where Mark is going to be. And at the time, he was doing some clinics and stuff on the side. And they end up Uh, meeting in John DuPont's hotel at this wrestling competition. How the movie portrays it is that he calls him and says, we want to fly you in to the property that John DuPont lives on. I'm calling on behalf of Mr. John E. DuPont. Mr. DuPont has been anxious to get in touch with you. Who? John E. DuPont of the DuPont family. Mr. DuPont asks that you please consider taking a day off from your training to come out to Foxcatcher Farms. So you men can meet face to face. About what? He'd like to discuss it in person in Pennsylvania. If I may, I'd like to make travel arrangements for you, Mr. Schultz. First class, of course. And in the ESPN 30 for 30, that is what Mark says happens. And the scenario where John DuPont is flying Mark in to meet with him... This is also the way other wrestlers describe meeting John DuPont, that they were flown in. So in his book, he says one thing happens. In the 30 for 30, he says another thing happens. So just remember that. The next difference we need to address between the movie and the actual story is the reason for John DuPont's contact of Mark Schultz. And this is something that the movie just dramatized for 
purposes of making the movie, for purposes of time. This was not something that was disagreed about among the people involved. Mark explains in his book, and this is true, that John DuPont's reason for contacting him initially was that he was starting a program at Villanova University, and he wanted Mark to be the assistant coach at this wrestling program. So he was going to be meeting with him for that job. In the movie, the reason John DuPont is contacting Mark is he is the first wrestler that he is contacting to tell him that he is wanting to start a club wrestling team. He's got a lot of money. He's got a passion for wrestling. And Mm -hmm. he would like them to help start this team and be a part of the team. And he wants to be able to help fund them to go to world championships, national championships, and the Olympics. Now, eventually, John DuPont will do this. He will form a club team. He will recruit other wrestlers. And Mark will be involved in it for a little bit. He just won't be involved in it for as long as the movie depicts. The last big difference that I want to talk about in terms of the meeting of John DuPont and Mark Schultz is how John DuPont is described in his behavior when Mark meets him. And this is something that is up for debate. What Mark says happens is they meet at this hotel room. And John DuPont is in a t-shirt and shorts. He is Mm -hmm. drunk or high or both. He is completely disheveled. He is skin and bones. He has terrible teeth. And he is barely making any sense. This is not how John DuPont acts in the movie when Mark and John first meet. He acts much more similarly to how he is described in the 30 for 30, both by Mark and by other wrestlers that would meet him later. In the movie, we have Mark flying in to what is going to be known as Foxcatcher Farms, or the farm. That's what everybody called it. He goes into a super fancy house. This is the main house on this property. They call it the big house. And he meets John DuPont. And this is played by Steve Carell. Mark. John DuPont. Thrilled. Thrilled that you're here. And he's so good. It's so different for him, Mm -hmm. but he's so good. I love Steve Carell. Yeah, and it's clear that he, when you watch the documentaries, that Steve Carell studied this guy's mannerisms and ways of speaking because the way that he like pauses between words and just the delivery is very, very on point for how John DuPont actually spoke and acted. That's that's one of the most important elements of entering a match is feeling the confidence, knowing that you're going to win, feeling it inside. Do you get... If you go to a match knowing that you're going to win that match, odds are you're going to win that match. I also thought, so they don't touch on it in the movie, but in the documentaries you see that he was already funding like swimmers and pentathletes. So like he had a history of sponsoring athletes and like letting them train there. It wasn't like wrestling was going to be the first team at the farm. I feel like that lended some credibility to the idea that you could use this as a training facility. Yeah, that's true. And one thing about John DuPont, this is something that we should talk about. John DuPont had a weird fascination with being a world champion. It didn't matter what Mm -hmm. for, he just wanted to be a world champion. And this started with swimming. And he actually swam at a club team that was very good. It had Mark Spitz, the guy that had the most medals before Michael Phelps came along. He swam on Mm -hmm. this team. And he was mediocre. He wasn't great. And that's not unusual. But he had these unrealistic expectations that he wanted to go to the Olympics. And the coach finally sat him down and said, you're not at that caliber. You're just not. But he did give him the suggestion 
suggestion that maybe he could look into another sport. So what sport does he pick? He picks the <laughs> sport that requires so much money, basically nobody does it. So he is bound to be good at it. He has to be because no one can do it. He does <laughs> modern pentathlon. And modern pentathlon yes. is horse jumping, riflery, <laughs> fencing. And then they throw in running and swimming for good measure. So crazy. Some modern pentathlete's going to really Classic. be mad at me. <laughs> I know. I'm sorry, but you cannot deny this is going to require a lot of fucking equipment and a it's horse. It's going to require, yeah, a lot of money, a lot of different facilities. And the name DuPont, it's a fancy schmancy name. His ancestors made a lot of money in a chemical company, I believe. The thing with this is everybody is saying, oh, the DuPonts, the DuPonts. I don't know a single family name unless you're the Queen of England. So, like, I know the Windsors. <laughs> I don't know any names. I'd be like, the who? Who are you? Good for fucking you, DuPont. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so he had the ability to get all this equipment to be a modern pentathlete. He still wasn't good enough. He still didn't have that medal. <laughs> so then he starts this fascination with wrestling. And mm -hmm. he wants a medal in wrestling. And the movie has him tell Mark that he is a coach. Well, I'm a, I'm a wrestling coach. And I have a deep love. The sport of wrestling. And I wanted to speak with you about your future, about what you hope to achieve. He never said that. I will give him okay. that. John DuPont never said he was a coach. What he said was that he was a wrestling enthusiast. He wanted to mm -hmm. fund and start a program for wrestling at Villanova. And he would like Mark to come on as the assistant coach. He already had a head coach and that his role would be limited. And he told Mark that he would only come into the gym and the wrestling area maybe once every few months. And mm -hmm. Mark claims in his book that that was the only reason he agreed to this job. He thought he was weird. He didn't like him. And the only reason he would take this job is because he's not really going to be around. So in the next scene, he shows Mark this wrestling gym facility. I'd like us to go to Seoul, stun the world. What do you think? They did ultimately build a massive facility for wrestling on this Foxcatcher farm, but that wasn't built at the time that Mark was there. It was there when Dave got there. Then we see John show Mark this American Revolution battleground, and he's talking mm -hmm. about how America has just basically lost its dignity and the reason that he wants to be a part of American wrestling and make it the best it can be is because wrestling is the embodiment of hard work and winning gold for your country and representing them well. Are you getting the support that you need? What, what do you mean, sir? Well, you know how the Soviets support their wrestlers. I do. Mark. We as a nation fail to honor you. And that's a problem. Not just for you, but for our society. And Mark really takes to this, and we see him bring it back to Dave and suggest to Dave that he come with him. The country is lost their morals and values, and the kids are lost, and they don't have any role models and heroes, and I agreed with them. Mm. Everything he was saying, I, I couldn't believe he was saying the stuff that I was, was in my head all the time. None of this ever happened. The bottom line is Mark really needed money. John really wanted to win a gold medal and start a program because he could. And yeah. he never went to Dave offering to bring him with him. In fact, Dave stayed at that assistant job at Stanford. And then he ultimately went to Wisconsin for a little bit and coached there. 
So then in the movie, Mark moves to the Foxcatcher Farms. Mm -hmm. And this is another important thing. When he does first come there, he does not live on the Foxcatcher Farms. He actually lives in an apartment close to the Villanova campus. He does not Mm -hmm. end up moving onto the property until much, much later. And he's only there for about six months. The other thing is Mark and Dave never lived at the farm at the same time. He had left by the time he got there. This is going to be a big, big discrepancy. And so that's going to be a thing I'm going to keep saying. But I think the point of bringing him in number one, you just see just how much money they have. And Mm -hmm. you see what fucking snobs these people are. Just the polar opposites of both of them. Like, he gets in there. He's all disheveled. He hasn't even told him he's coming. He's just shown up. He's got to go to the bathroom immediately in this nice house. (laughs) Hi. Is uh, Mr. DuPont home? Is Mr. DuPont expecting you? Yes, ma'am. Not at this exact moment, but, you know, this week sometime. I'm Mark Schultz. I have a seat here for a moment. I uh, need... Do you have a commode or, like, a washroom? And they're very put off by him. The thing was, John DuPont's mother really did not like wrestling. She saw it as Mm -hmm. a low-class sport. She was the ultimate snob that cares what other people think. And she did not like the fact that her son was doing wrestling. Mm -hmm. And a little family background on John DuPont. He had siblings, but they were much older. John DuPont was completely alone as a child. He really only had his mother to be with. His parents were divorced. He never had his father around. And Mm -hmm. he was a very weird kid, just as he was a very weird adult. His mother paid people to hang out out with him. The first one being mm-hmm. the butler slash driver of their limousine. It was his kid. And I think that was one of the big reasons he became so comfortable spending money to get people to be around him and why he was so comfortable spending so much money on wrestling to have these cool guys be around him is because that had literally been his life since he was a child. Yeah, it's kind of weird in the movie because they play it like that was very traumatic for him when he found out that people were being paid to hang out with him. But then that's exactly what he does as an adult is pay all these cool guys to be around him. <laughs> And I think it was probably traumatic for him. It probably was really embarrassing, but I think he also didn't know what else to do. I'm sure that killed his self-esteem. So you fully get the gist. These people are absolute fucking snobs. And it's the cherry on top when they're asking background questions to Mark. Do you own any property, Mark? No. Are your parents still together? No. How old were you when they separated? Two. Who raised you? Well, we moved around a lot, but my brother, mainly. Okay. Mark, have you ever been accused of a crime? No, sir. And they give him a VHS with the DuPont dynasty history so that he can quiz up and know how important the DuPonts are. DuPont, a dynasty of wealth and power. America's need for ammunition enabled the family to amass a fortune and grow their company into what is today the largest chemical corporation in the world. And I mean, that seems to actually exist because in those different documentaries we watch, it seems like they have clips from this DuPont family history, whoever created this. So then we get a weird scene where John DuPont shows up at Mark's living quarters in the middle of the night, like wakes him up and he gives him a bird book and kind of just mm-hmm. basically he's trying to be friends with him. I hope it's not too late. No, no 
I just wanted to check in and make sure that everything was all right with you, that everything was fine, drop a few things off for you that I thought you might enjoy. There's some field glasses. There's many varieties of birds right here on the property. That'll give you a better vantage point. Okay. And this is from 10 years ago, but I thought you might find it interesting. You wrote this? I did, yeah. Mark says this did not happen. They never, he never attempted at any point to bond with him over one of his interests, like birds or whatever. Mm -hmm. But I think the point of this was to show that Mark really, really hated that John was always in his business. And it wasn't necessarily coming to his living quarters, but he was always coming up to his job. He was always trying to interfere with the coaching at Villanova. He broke a lot of Mm -hmm. NCAA rules at Villanova. And that's the other thing. We get to the next scene where Mark is about to have a meeting with John DuPont and we see a bunch of cops leaving John DuPont's office. And what John DuPont would do is he would allow local agencies surrounding his property to use the property for shooting and they Mm -hmm. could bring in any guns they wanted but the catch was number one John wanted to also be allowed to shoot all the guns and number two he had a hand in those agencies if something was bothering him he could call them and they'd come right up at the same time if he did anything weird he was sort of brushed under the rug so in the meeting that Mark has with John DuPont it basically starts this fascination with Dave How's it looking with your brother, Dave? Dave? How do you mean? You said you were going to talk to him again. I did. When is he coming? He's not. He's just not. He's just not willing to uproot his family. The obsession with Dave was not as prominent and fast as the movie shows it to be. Right. He eventually really wanted Dave to come out, but he was happy with Mark there because he was busy with this Mm -hmm. Villanova team. Yeah. Now it's time to go to Worlds. They are going to the World Championships in France, and they are flying on a private plane. Everything okay, Mark? What is it? What's wrong? Nothing. I'm fine. No, you don't. I just... I just don't want to let you down. Mark vehemently denies. Number one, he says they did not go in a private plane. He never went in a private plane anywhere with him. But also, he never felt a need to please him. And I actually kind of believe that. But it just shows how involved John was. Even though they didn't go in a plane, he funded everything. And it shows how dependent USA Wrestling as an organization was on John. It's Team USA going to these world championships. It's not Team Foxcatcher. But Mm -hmm. John is showing up there, and John is funding a bunch of stuff. And ultimately, he's going to be letting wrestlers live on his property. He very quickly got himself into that world and they became very dependent on it very fast. Mm -hmm. So we're at the World Championships. Mark's doing okay. He's doing good, but he needs to talk with Dave, who's his workout partner, has or has been pretty much up to this point, and he goes into his room. Hey, Xander. Where's your dad? Over there. Hello. Hey, Mark. Come on in, buddy. Yay! Oh, oh, God, he's got me. Oh, I, yeah, got I, me to, I want you to meet Mr. DuPont. <laughs> oh, hold on a second. You got a guest. I got to get up. How you doing? Keep on Let me say hi. And my God, I'm sure Dave's a nice guy, but if his children are that fucking annoying... <laughs> 
Let's see. I wrote in my notes. The kids are just being kids, screaming all I over the place. I was like, <laughs> I don't care who it is, but if someone comes to my room, I'm going to like get up. And it really, really bothered me that he was just like, oh, hold on. Let me get up. I was like, shut your kids up. There is a person that you don't know in your room. Like, you're laying yeah. on the bed. I don't know. I felt Mark was really trying to impress his brother. He was very proud to introduce John in the scene. Now, this didn't mm-hmm. really happen. We know this didn't happen. Mm-hmm. But I will tell you what is accurate to this is Mark mentions in his book that he used to have to room with his brother when they went on these different competitions. And he liked it at first. But once he got married and had kids, it was very hard for him because they were doing exactly this. He wanted to concentrate. Yeah. He wanted it to be quiet. He needed a place to focus. And once those kids came around, it was loud. Even with the girlfriends, it was just chaos. And I fully felt that there. But so he ends up storming out because he fights with David wife about how she didn't get up to say hi to John DuPont and Dave goes out to make up with them and you see Dave gives him tips on how to handle the guy's wrestling move that was supposed to be on the tape buddy come here okay okay can't set up his arm spin without setting up himself you just hit yours first when you feel him drive hit him hey. And I thought this was important because Dave really was a technical genius when it came to wrestling. Like there was nobody who understood the moves and like what you should do in any given scenario more than Dave. And Dave was really good at explaining it to any other wrestler. Yeah. And he was pretty generous with it. A lot of wrestlers don't want to explain moves to other people, but Dave was very generous with his time and with what he knew and sharing that knowledge. Mm -hmm. So lucky for Mark, that works out for him. He does really well at that world. He won gold. Dave actually got a silver at that world, but everybody's happy. We're back at Team Foxcatcher, and we see John shooting with the police, as he does, but it gets real scary real fast when John comes into the gym where all the wrestlers are working out with one of those guns. Three hundred eighty-seven days to soul, gentlemen. Let's have a good practice, shall we? And he shoots the gun into the ceiling. No guns were ever brought into the area when Mark was there. But when Dave was there and when some other wrestlers were there, he did bring a gun into the wrestling area. And there was a wrestler that was working out. And this was down the road when John's mental health really went downhill. He pointed the gun at this guy and he said, don't fuck with me. And luckily, this wrestler just said, John, I don't know what you're talking about. I've just always wanted to be your friend. And thank God that calmed things down. But I think this Mm -hmm. is an important time to point out how brushed under the rug this whole situation was by everybody. Mm-hmm. There's neglect from the family, from these wrestlers, from USA Wrestling, and mm-hmm. from the police. He was clearly not well. And this is just an example of that. And yeah. one of the big things that the family says is, well, we had concerns for his mental health, but he's an adult and we could not do anything without him voluntarily committing himself. I don't mm-hmm. think that's true. If there's a concern that he's going to hurt himself or others, then I think you have good reason to get him committed or get him in a hospital or get him some help. And he clearly needed help. The other thing yeah. is this USA Wrestling, the second they heard that, it, sh- it shouldn't have even been a meeting. Get them out of there now. And the movie never 
really gets into the fact that this was a compound of guys living on this property like it was a cult. Yeah, it was very much like hippie commune vibes. All their kids are together, their wives are hanging out. It's really interesting just to show the tunnel vision of an athlete working that hard. I don't want to blame them. I think they were in a very, very tough position. These guys are working to get to this ultimate goal and they're so desperate for these resources because no one else will give it to them. They're literally willing to stay there. And they all claimed that they didn't think he'd ever really hurt anybody. He was weird. But this, along with other instances, at one point he drives a guy in a car into a lake. He was not stable and nobody did anything. And when this was reported, the police would say, are you sure you want to do that? There was one instance where one of the police officers said, are you sure you want to do this? And they tried, but ultimately people really dropped the ball on this. Yeah. And in uh, ESPN 30 for 30, the lawyer says, oh, we talked about getting him involuntarily committed, but that would require the wrestlers to testify against him. And then they would all be off of the payroll, like they wouldn't be supported in the wrestling anymore. So nobody wanted to do that. But the thing is, there were other people on that farm. I I don't know that they were the only ones who could have testified against him that he was unwell. But so basically, they're like, oh, nobody wants to testify against him. So we're not going to involuntarily commit him. And then with USA Wrestling, they said they were concerned about it. And then Dave basically tells them, if I didn't think my family was safe, we wouldn't be here. We're going to focus on getting to where we need to go with the Olympics. We don't need to be pulled off the farm. But like you said, Dave was so invested in it. This is his life's work, what he's been working towards. And then they're like, oh, well, so we all listen to Dave. Yeah. And the thing is, someone who's not an athlete, someone who's not so invested in winning and the actual competition that's coming up needs to step in and say, I understand you think you're safe, but Mm -hmm. you've been preparing for this your whole life. And I'm here to tell you, you're not safe. Someone had to do that and no one was going to do it. And this dives perfectly into the next scene where we see John writing a massive check with a lot of zeros to Mark. I said, you don't have to do this. Look, you've given me enough. This is not necessary. Mark, Mark, you earned that. Thank you. You're welcome, Mark. It just shows how money was the ultimate factor. And then after he writes him the check, he wants Mark to call him Eagle or Golden Eagle. I don't want you to call me Mr. DuPont or sir anymore. I consider us friends. And most of my friends will call me Eagle or Golden Eagle. So either of those will work. They're just like, bullshit, you have no friends. No one's calling you Eagle. Like, that's not happening. And actually, (laughs) that happened when he first met him. It wasn't that late in the game. When he first met him, he (laughs) said, I'm John, but you can call me Eagle. And so then they would call him Eagle. They would call him Coach. And the thing with that, too, is they all thought that was weird, but they did it because it was just, oh, that's John. Quote, Mm -hmm. oh, that's John is said so many times whenever you're looking at things on this event. So there was just so much enabling on all sides. People letting John do what he wants. People not keeping these wrestlers and check with their safety. It was all about this money. And we also see yeah. a scene where Mark is doing this photo shoot where he's covered in oil and he's in his little wrestling singlet. Excellent. One more. Great. The oil looks really good on you. Bow your arms a little bit. Here we go. Excellent. And that was also something he had to do. And he claims he hated it. But at the same time, there were a lot of perks that came with that. And I don't necessarily know Mm -hmm. that he hated it. I mean, this gave him the recognition he never had before. And I think the movie correctly portrays that. Now we get a scene where Mark and John are flying in a helicopter to a banquet where John has given Mark a speech written out already where he is going to talk about John and what a great influence in his life he is. Highly respected 
ornithologist, author, world explorer, Phil Philad... Philadelist. Philadelist. Stamped. Did you say stamped? No, Philadelist. Don't, don't be intimidated by these people. How many people are going to be there? About 400. Mark never actually did do this, but there were other athletes that had to do this. John created at least one organization called Citizen Athletes where he had people come and do this. And it was always very awkward. And it was essentially talk about how much John has influenced your life. I think this is a part of where the mental health and just a giant ego come to a clash and what ultimately becomes a big downfall. Not only was he paying these people to do these things, but when his mental health went down, he really started believing it. Yeah. And this is the first time we see John doing drugs. Mark, it's just cocaine. It's not going to kill you. What am I? Just supposed to just take the vial, tap some on the mirror, take the straw, just inhale it through your nose. Mark claims that John had a drug problem from the moment he met him, and it was always there. At the end of this, when we get to a trial, he did not want to testify about John DuPont and his use of drugs because he was afraid it was going to force him to testify that he had used drugs and he could lose his job. I saw something that was he admitted to doing cocaine with him two or three times. Which also kind of goes to how we were talking about before, how Mark claims that he never tried to bond with him and just thought he was an annoying guy, but then he like also did some cocaine with him. So yeah, <laughs> it's kind of wishy-washy there. I was also so naive when I saw this scene. I was like, but he's an athlete. He's going to get drug tested. I did <laughs> think like, that too. Cocaine's not going to stay in the system that long, Grace. Really? <laughs> How long would it stay in? That's the first thing I thought too. It apparently goes out of your system fairly quickly if you're not like a habitual user. Yeah. So we fast forward a little bit. And at this point, it seems like Mark is not doing well. What's you up to? Huh? What's you up to? Uh, nothing. You working out? Getting ready? Uh, yeah. No, I mean, well, I'm taking a, li- a little bit of a break right now. Um, just let rest out the body. I'm gonna ramp it up. You know, when it gets closer to world um, trials. <laughs> All right. How close? Hey, hold on, hold on one second. What? What's that? Blonde tips point you off there. He made a point. Mark made a very big point that he at no point ever frosted his tips. <laughs> Like, okay, I believe you on that one there, Mark. (laughs) But we've got frosted tips, beers, and cocaine. Yeah, and he's not really working out. And the way the movie shows it, he's full on turned into John's bitch. Hey, Mark, gear up, practice in the gallery. John comes in and wakes him up early in the morning. He takes him to a room called the gallery room and it is dark and they are quote unquote wrestling. But John is just basically dry humping Mark. I actually rewound it because I was like, wait, is he having sex with him? Are they just wrestling? The clothes are on. But once I researched more, that innuendo seemed to be there for a lot of viewers. Mark in real life got so angry at this scene. Mm -hmm. It made him furious. He says that this never happened. There is not a room called the gallery room. And he does 
does make the point he never at any way coached or trained John DuPont. Dave did. Mm -hmm. Dave would give him pointers and stuff, but Mark never did. And I think that's true. His priority was the Villanova team. He was there for a little bit at Foxcatcher Farms, but I'm not gonna lie, he gets real homophobic. He is very upset by this. And to be fair, if someone killed my sister and people were trying to say I have some sort of sexual relationship with them, I'd get pissed. But I think it's less about the fact that there's a false claim of a relationship. It's more about the gay thing. He really doesn't like the gay thing. So I found something where he said that he wanted it to be cut when he first saw the screening of it. And they were like, no, it just shows that he's gradually encroaching on your privacy and your personal space. And then people thought that it meant that he was gay. And so he gets very upset and goes on his Twitter frenzy thing. And then I was looking up to see where this might have been coming from. And there's this whole story about how DuPont created a wrestling move called the Foxcatcher Five. Yes. So a wrestler would grab another wrestler's testicles with five fingers. So this was more early on when Mark was at Villanova. John DuPont did create this move he claims called the Foxcatcher Five, where he would basically grab a guy's balls and squeeze. And that was where some kids said that John came up to them. And the context that the kids were telling him was that they were embarrassed or trying to make a joke out of it. But clearly they were very troubled by it, that he Foxcatcher Fived them, which Mm. was where that came from. Mark, if this is true, you didn't report it. Fuck you. The other thing about this scene, I do think that the purpose of it is to encroach on his private. But mm-hmm. I think another thing we might mention at this point about John DuPont that I've never been able to confirm if it's true. The main source I got it from was Mark, so it could be completely made up. But Mark claims that John told him a story that in his childhood, and the reason he did not like any of his mother's horses was because he was riding one of the horses once when he was younger. He fell off the horse or was bucked off the horse during a jump and he hit a fence and his testicles were basically just crushed and he had to have them removed and put plastic ones in. And Mark claimed, this is Mark's word y'all. He claims he had androgynous features and had to take testosterone and sometimes maybe had more feminine qualities. I don't know how much truth this is rooted in, and it certainly shows Mark's homophobia again, but Mm -hmm. it is certainly an interesting story and certainly speaks a lot to the trauma that John DuPont went through as a child and how he was raised and how his parents chose to deal with it and why he might have issues now. We also get a scene where not only is John encroaching on Mark's privacy, but he's really encroaching on his ability to do his job. We get a scene where Mark has given all the guys at Foxcatcher Farms the day off, and John comes Mm -hmm. in furious. John, you're you're not Is Mark in there? Right here, comes. What's up? Why is there nobody in the gym? What do you mean? It's almost noon. There's nobody in there. Yeah, no, I gave the I gave the boys a morning off. We're going to do a double later on the night. Who's making these decisions? And you almost start to see how irrational he's becoming. He's mad that they got the day off. He's mad that he wasn't aware that this day off happened and he has no control. But suddenly this anger turns into him telling Mark, I want your brother Dave here. What are you talking about? I, I want your brother Dave to come. Um, that's, that's not going to happen. We, we talked about that. Are you okay? ungrateful ape. And then he slaps him. Mm -hmm. This slap never happened. Mark said that if he ever slapped him, he would have tore his head off or something like that. Ridiculous. I believe it didn't happen. I think it starts to show some of the mania coming in. 
So after this incident, this is the moment that in the movie, Dave finally shows up. Mm-hmm. Now, what happened in real life was ultimately this Villanova program was shut down. It was a disaster. Mark moved on to the Foxcatcher property for a very brief time, about six months. But he ultimately couldn't take it anymore. He couldn't take John. He had to go and he leaves. Dave comes later. And when mm-hmm. Dave comes, it was under no influence of Mark. Right. John DuPont contacted him by himself and he tried to ask him if he would come work for him. It was for a coaching position. And Dave did actually ask Mark what he would think about that. And Mark told him, whatever he says to you about what this job is going to be, get it in writing. So then Dave goes on to this property. It was also around this time that when Dave came in and Mark left the Foxcatcher property, Mark made a deal with John DuPont that (laughs) as long as either one of the brothers was working for John DuPont as a coach in wrestling, then they both get paid. So Mm. that kind of explains how Mark, even though he is no longer living on Foxcatcher Farms or coaching for him, he's still getting paid because Dave is there. Which I think also speaks to why Dave and all these other people felt like they couldn't leave. Even if they're not saying it to themselves, it's not only dependent on his family, it's dependent on his brother. Yeah. Once Dave's there and Mark's gone, John and Dave really bond. And John really loved Dave. In fact, a lot of the scenes that we saw earlier where it was Mark and John, quote unquote, training together or walking around, that didn't happen with Mark, but it did happen with Dave. Dave was just a nice enough guy that he would hang out with John just to be a nice person. And Mm -hmm. John, I think, really felt like he finally had a family he didn't have, not only with all these wrestlers, but particularly with Dave. He would have his family come up to the big house for Christmas. He actually enjoyed seeing those kids around. And the other thing that I think Dave was more okay doing and Mark was not was he would kind of let John pretend to be a coach. And you see a really big contrast in this. We have a couple scenes where John is kind of pretending to coach. The first one we get is with Mark, and Mark is doing weights by himself, and John pretends to give him pointers as he's lifting weights. Use your stomach. Use your stomach. Good. Good set. And Mark slaps at him. Mark never slapped at him. I think he knew not to do that or he could get in trouble. But Mm -hmm. I think it just shows the anger level that Mark was at at the time he left and during his time with John DuPont. Then you get the opposite scene where you have John full on pretending to coach these world-class athletes. As a coach, I want you to be champions in sport and winners in life. And also, to be good citizens for America. And his mother comes in. And he's purely Mm -hmm. doing it to impress his mother. And his mother doesn't give two shits. She literally doesn't care and leaves in the middle of this big moment. But Dave would give that to him. And Dave would let it happen. And he was sort of the secret leader of all the people saying, okay, guys, let John have this and just make him happy. Another thing we see at this point is how disconnected with reality John was. We see John in a Masters League World Championship. And this was a real thing that John DuPont created. Mm -hmm. John DuPont could not wrestle. Everybody knew he couldn't wrestle. He did not know what he was doing. He looked like a goofball in the outfit, everything. And the other thing about this, too, that I got a sense from from the documentaries is that once you retire from wrestling, it's not like swimming where you might go back and be in a Masters program. It's very hard on your body and you're done. You're doing 
doing something else. Yeah. And so he creates this master's wrestling program that isn't really popular. People don't want to do it. So what was happening was his team of people behind John's back, and maybe not so much behind his back, were paying people to come and be in these tournaments, older people, wrestle him and lose. And they would pay him right there on the Mm -hmm. spot at these meets. And they say, eventually, he literally thought he was a world champion. He thought he had beaten people that had won past world championships. And we see the scene where he brings his trophy to his mother and he wants it to be in the trophy case with all the horse trophies that his mother has from her champion horses. I thought we could put it in the Rosemont case. It says John Eagle DuPont. That's right. First place? Yes. You funded this, presumably. And you see the disconnect with reality that just is rooted in his childhood. And now we get our last meet that Mark is going to go to while he is associated with Team Foxcatcher, and that is the Olympic trials. It does not go well at first. This whole thing I'm about to tell you did really happen, but John DuPont was not there. It just shows the craziness of what these athletes will do. Yeah. Just further beating a dead horse about how they really would do anything to get these gold medals, including put themselves in jeopardy, both with a murderer, but also also with their bodies. So here's what happens at trials. Mark does his first match. I don't know what it's called. Is it a match? I think so. He has his first fight with another wrestler. Next match, Mark Schultz versus Rico Chiparelli. He loses, but he still has got a chance to stay in. He breaks down. He thinks Mm -hmm. he's lost this one. He's going to lose the rest. He can't recover. And in his book, he says that in that moment after he lost, he went up to his hotel room and he said, I'm retiring. He fully intended to retire right then and there and not finish this tournament. He Mm -hmm. bashes his head into a mirror in this hotel room. Which he also really did do. And then he orders a shit ton of food from room service Mm -hmm. because, as we said earlier, they're categorized by class. So he's fully fucking up his weight class. Like, he is done. Yeah. In reality, it was not Dave, his brother, that came and helped him. It was one of his best friends. But what they do is he comes in there and he just talks him off this ledge. And he realizes he can still keep going. It's not time to retire yet. And he weighs himself... 12 pounds over. How much time we got? 90 minutes. 90 minutes. And he needs to lose 12 pounds to get back down to his weight. And he's got 90 minutes to do it. We start with the puking. And there is puking. Trigger yeah. warning. If you that's an issue for you because there's a lot of barf. And then it turns into wearing trash bags and spinning on a bike. He says he actually ran around the campus. He wasn't on a bike. But he's going and going and going. Five, four, three... And in the scene, you see John DuPont try to come in and intervene like he's going to help and Dave tells Mm -hmm. him to leave. I think they kept this scene, even though Dave wasn't really involved in this, because it's a good time to start showing how John DuPont, although his relationship with Dave started well, it's going to get bad and it's going to be kind of rooted in jealousy. People want Mm -hmm. Dave because he's going to be helpful to them. They don't want or need John because John's not really a coach. One person they don't ever mention in the movie that this was a particular 
another problem with with this jealousy with John is a Bulgarian wrestler. He came mm-hmm. over from Bulgaria to specifically wrestle at Team Foxcatcher. And Dave knew how to speak Russian. From wrestling around the world, he really liked wrestling with Russians and he just learned the language. So they bonded very easily. And this bothered John and made him jealous. He had a weird fascination with this Bulgarian guy. He even, when he really started to lose it, started to say that he had ancestors that were from Bulgaria, which was not true at all. Right. So he makes the Olympic team, but this is sort of the start of jealousy of Dave. And then we're Mm -hmm. about to see, in combination with that jealousy, the start of John losing his mind. And it happens when his mom dies. In the movie, John clearly gets mad that Dave has taken over helping Mark at this trials, and he leaves. But you initially think he left the tournament because his mother died. Hey, Henry. Dave, what can I do for you? Henry, John and I kind of had an uncomfortable moment earlier, and, you know, I didn't see him at the finals. Was he even there? No. Mr. DuPont flew home earlier today. Okay. Mr. DuPont's mother died. But you start to see that it was because he was pissed. He was pissed that Dave took over. And then you start to see the mania come in. This starts with increased security. Can I help you? Everything okay? Can I help you? Uh, yeah, we live here. Okay, there's a new security plan in place. I'm going to need to see some IDs. Sure. You see John bringing in security people. They're walking around the house. They're walking around the wrestling room. And what was actually happening was he really started to have some serious paranoia. He Mm. thought that there were Russian spies in his house. Then he started to think that Dave had dug tunnels under his house and was coming into his house. He started to think that there were robot deers out in the woods and property. It was weird because he was so paranoid that he would try to trip up people with this paranoia. So, for example, there's a story where he brings a wrestler over to an area on the property. He's pointing out to a field and the field is empty. But John is saying to him, you see that deer over there? That's a robot deer. It's a spy. And the wrestler tried to kind of agree with him. Just let him have what he wants and said, oh yeah, that's crazy. And he goes, what are you talking about? There's not a deer there. Like, he would try to trip people up on his own paranoia to see if they really were trustworthy or not. So it was like paranoia on top of paranoia. And it was particularly geared towards Dave. And this all culminates in what inevitably is going to happen. There's clearly been a time lapse in the movie where you just get a little bit of a montage. Mark is off doing his own thing. He's left Foxcatcher. In real life, he got sixth at the Olympics and decides he's retiring from wrestling. He's done. Yeah. Dave is still there. Yeah. And Dave's in his late 30s, but everyone says that Dave's even getting better at wrestling. Dave is still training. That's part of the reason he's still at Foxcatcher because he's actually going for the next Olympics. John DuPont, however, has completely gone off the deep end. Yeah. He starts thinking there's bugs in his legs and he scratches himself to the point that he is bleeding everywhere. He thinks that he is the Dalai Lama and there's actually an instance at a party where John is sitting with one of the wrestlers and he looks at this other wrestler and says, I think I've found the problem at the farm. And he looks over so directly at Dave and says, I will take care of it. He decides that black is a bad color and he gets rid of anything that's black. He gets rid of black horses. He gets rid of wrestlers who are African-American. These are world champions, Olympic 
Olympic champions and he fires literally anyone who is not white. And at this point, USA Wrestling, like no one is stepping in and being like, okay, this guy's actually cuckoo. We've had so many instances at this point and people still do nothing. I think after the black thing, some Mm -hmm. people couldn't take it anymore and left, but a lot of them stayed. And the reaction by USA Wrestling was we should probably have a meeting. They, we they should probably have a meeting. We should probably have a meeting is their reaction. All in all, the consensus is by everybody after this upcoming Olympics, they're not going to stay at Foxcatcher. They're not going to do this anymore, mm-hmm. but they're staying for now. So it culminates into this scene. John gets in his car and he's driving around the property and he's brought a security guard with him. The security guard is sitting in the driver's seat. This fucking security guard too. I know. <laughs> <laughs> they drive up to Dave's house, his living area on the property. And this mm-hmm. this made me sad in real life on his both his hand and on his forehead. Dave had mm-hmm. pick up kids written so that if he looked in the mirror, he would know to pick up his kids from school. And he had it on his hand so he would remember to pick up his kids from school. And he was fixing something in his car. He was fixing the radio. Mm-hmm. John drives up, rolls down the window. Dave walks up to him and says, hey, John. And John says, do you have a problem with me? John, don't John. Uh, John, I don't have a problem. And he shoots him once. He shoots him once and hits him in the mm-hmm. elbow. Then Dave tries to run and he shoots him in the back. And then he shoots him again, also in the back. And it goes all the way through him. Like, it's bad. Mm-hmm. And he's trying to crawl away. And the security guard jumps out of the car, pulls out his gun, but then hides. And yeah, he doesn't do anything. <laughs> he doesn't do anything. What? And then Dave's wife, Nancy, comes out and she yells, stop. But then he points the gun at her. So she jumps. She has to jump back inside and she calls the police. Mm-hmm. And if you want to hear the world's worst 911 call, normally I defend 911 operators. <laughs> they have to deal with a lot of shit and they're given a lot yeah. of shit for it. This person is so rude to her. She is saying someone has been shot. He is dying. Mm -hmm. There's a man with a gun. He still has the gun. It's dangerous. Please hurry. And this person has the audacity to tell her to relax. Just Google it, y'all. Just Google it. It's so bad. It's bad. I would have put my hand through the phone and strangled that man. Yeah. But anyway, he dies in his wife's arms. Nancy actually says that the movie depicted his death and that shooting very, very accurately. It was very similar to what happened. And she couldn't watch it for years because it was so hard for her. How the movie shows what happens to John is that John drives off and the police get there relatively quickly. They see him running around the property, around the house. They get him and arrest him. That is not what happened. What actually happened is he barricades himself in his house. And the property is so big, he's got people working for him in that house that do not realize that he's just shot and killed a man. And Mm -hmm. so they're still working. And he won't come out. And the other problem is the phone line to that house has been disconnected. They were doing repairs previously, and they never connected it back. So they can't just call into him. And this is 96, so cell phones are going to be fairly limited. So they have no way of communicating with the people there what's happened. They have no way of getting John out. They don't know where he is. The house is too big. So it's just a shit show. Mm-hmm. Ultimately, they fix the phone line so they can talk to him. He will not come out. He says that he's the head of state. Mark claims he says he's the head of the United States. And mm-hmm. this goes on overnight because John tells them he's going to go to sleep and they let him fucking go to sleep. And reporters yeah. are asked, they're like, why on God's green earth would you do that? And they don't really have an answer. And mm-hmm. they also start getting called out for the fact that John basically has given them all their money. Right. Ultimately, how they get him out is they turn the heater off to the house. And John calls the police and says, if I come out so that I can fix my heater, will you let me? And they play it cool and they just kind of say, all right. He Mm -hmm. comes out. And as he's coming back in, they start putting their guns on him, telling him to stop. He tries to run away once. Nobody shoots him. (laughs) 
This man has killed a man and no one shoots him. Not even in a knee or something. Yeah. He tries to run again and they manage to get a hold of him. But this would have gone on. If he had managed to get back in that house, they would have let this gone on for a week. Yeah. So he is finally arrested. The movie does not get into his trial. Mark claims that the trial was very long and he thinks that both the prosecution and the defense attorneys were either shady or didn't do their jobs. I don't believe that. I think there's a common misconception that defense attorneys are somehow able to intentionally delay trials longer than they are. I'm going to tell you right now. If you've got a trial or something like this, it is going to take a very fucking long time. I've had cases that were yeah. four years old that I had to try. It lasts yeah. a long time. It really depends on what kind of evidence you have. If there's an issue with mental capacity, it's going to take forever. Mm-hmm. And obviously, in this case, there were some serious questions about John's competency. And so they requested yeah. a competency evaluation, and he was found incompetent. And I think that is correct. He was sent to a hospital where he could regain his competency. And if he regained it, then he could be tried. You can't try someone that's not competent. They don't understand what's going on. Ultimately, there would be a trial and John pleads not guilty by reason of insanity. Then Mm -hmm. you get into the issue of sanity. And Mm -hmm. it's a very specific definition and it is extremely hard to prove. When you plead not guilty by reason of insanity, essentially what you have to prove is that you committed this act But while you were committing it, you did not know the difference between right and wrong as a result of some disease of your mind. So you did not know what you were doing was wrong. And it's really hard to prove. So in this case, you have to prove that when John shot Dave, he did not think what he was doing was wrong. They do something that I'm not familiar with in Texas. They find him guilty of third degree felony meaning that he did shoot at John, but he did not intend to kill him. I kind of don't agree with that. I think he intended to kill him. I think he intended to kill him, too. Yeah. But they say that he was mentally incapacitated, which basically this just means that instead of the jury sentencing him, it's going to be the judge that sentences him. And the range that she can sentence him to is five to 40 years in prison. She ends up sentencing him to 13 to 30 years. So Mm -hmm. I think he did intend to kill him. I don't think he was insane by the legal definition of insanity. So I actually think that trial went as well as it possibly could. I think it's very common for people to get mad at the judges and the lawyers involved in cases like this, and they don't understand how it works. But Mm -hmm. I think that trial, ultimately, the right thing came out of it. But to end up the movie, the final scene we really get, it shows Mark, and he is now a jujitsu fighter, and he's in in a cage match, basically. And earlier in the movie, we saw all the wrestlers. They were watching fake wrestling on TV and they were being super judgy about it. And now that's where Mark is. He did everything he could to win and it's brought him down even lower than he was before. Mark says that after this happened, he did get a very good coaching job in Utah. He did briefly do jujitsu and he did one cage match like that. And he actually, the other opponent got cut on his finger or something. So they stopped the match. He won by default and then he never did it again. He did get married and then divorced. And he says that his wife took his kids and his home away from him in his book, which I was Hmm. like, Mark, did you really need to throw your wife, ex-wife under the bus? It's like pretty depressing. And then even with John DuPont, I don't like him at all. But you also see that he was clearly mentally ill. Yeah. Some reactions to the movie. It was nominated for three Golden Globes, including Best Picture. It was nominated for five Oscars at the 2015 Academy Awards, including Best Picture, Best Actor for Steve Carell, Best Supporting Actor for Mark Ruffalo, Best Director, Best Original Screenplay, and my favorite, Best Fucking Makeup and Hairstyling. (laughs) (laughs) There was one negative review in a magazine called Slant Magazine that I actually agreed with. It said that it offers us next to nothing on the utility or complexity about DuPont's pathology. I really wish that they had gone more into John DuPont's mental health 
maybe a little more into his background. I really wish, and I think it would have been more effective, if this hadn't been so much from the perspective of Mark. I think the reason they made it Mark's perspective is because Mark was the first wrestler that John DuPont was really able to get in contact with and subsequently brought in these other people. But I think there were other wrestlers that had way more contact with him and could tell way more stories about what he was like and could really explain how bad this got. And you'd been able to see more of the compound. After I did research, I didn't really like that the movie, to me, it really painted it like it was kind of Mark's fault that Dave was in that situation and that Dave ended up getting killed. Like they kind of made it seem like Dave took that job because Mark was there and he was concerned about Mark, but Mark was gone before Dave ever came on. And Dave was there because this was how wrestling was being funded at the time. And this was how you could live comfortably and pursue your Olympic dream. So I don't think Mark raises that qualm anywhere, but to me, it really seemed like, wow, it seems like it's Mark's fault that Dave got shot, but that's not actually what happened. Yeah, that's true. Speaking of Mark and his reactions, <laughs> he did not like the movie, but it was not because it made it seem like it was his fault. He supported the film throughout its creation, and he did serve as a consultant. He's in the movie in a cameo, which you pointed out to me. Then it comes out, and it starts getting reviews about there are homosexual undertones between John DuPont and Mark in the movie. Yeah. And this makes him freak the fuck out. It goes from him just saying that the people in this movie were fictionalized, even though the overall story is correct, to some crazy tweets, including a tweet to the director where he definitely is threatening to end his career, but some interpret it as him threatening to kill him. Then we get the Oscar nominations out. Mm -hmm. And Mark fully wants to be invited to the Oscars. So Mm. the same day that the Oscar nominations come out, he tweets that he loves Spotscatcher, he loves (laughs) Channing Tatum, this movie immortalized his brother. And among other things, something he tweets was that he was temporarily insane when he made those tweets before. Oh my god. It's a very specific and ironic excuse there, Mark. Because the entire time this trial went on, he never thought John DuPont was insane. He never thought he was mentally incapacitated. He said that he was a greedy man and he just wanted his money. And he shot Dave because he wasn't getting what he wanted. I'm done with Mark Schultz. I'm done with him. And you know what? That is the story and the movie Foxcatcher. So what are we doing next time, Grace? Next time we're going to do Zodiac. This one's going to be fun. Mark Ruffalo is in it again. Yeah. And Jake Gyllenhaal. Oh, Jake Gyllenhaal. He's a fun guy. Alrighty, guys. Thank you so much for listening. Don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe. And you can follow us on Instagram and Twitter at at Crime Scenes Pod. And on Facebook at Crime Scenes, a true crime movie podcast. Thanks, guys. We'll see you next week. Bye. Thanks, guys. Bye. And the film... And the film's plot is loosely based, based... Damn it. And the film's plot is loosely based on the events surrounding multimillionaire heir and wrestling enthusiast motherfucker. (laughs) Y'all, it is one of those days I'm not speaking well, so (laughs) this editing is going to be interesting. He tweets to the director, you cross the line, Miller. You're done. Your career's over. You think I can't do it? Watch me. You think I'm going to sit back and watch you destroy my name and reputation and the blood I sweat for? You ain't seen nothing yet, dude. This is getting ridiculous. I built this house and I'll tear it down. Basically, I could keep going. Don't Don't do cocaine, guys. Yeah, it's not great. Mark's... Mark's got... Damn it. Biggie! Sorry, that was loud. (laughs) Y'all might hear my dog in the background. I'm sorry. Shit happens. That's the... That's the... That's what this movie should be called. (laughs) It shit fucking happens.